the good news of Christmas really is this. God got born and you should come see him. And if you do, you're probably going to explode with joy. That's pretty good theology right there. It's pretty much the message of the angel to the shepherds when he said, I bring you good news of great joy for who? All the people. And if you're a people today, you're included in that all. How are you doing today? Well, I'm glad that you're here and just uh, thanks so much for deciding to start this week. Uh, I'm uh, Jared and I'm getting to follow two fantastic messages in this Advent series. Uh, Lydia, as she spoke about hope and Anne, as she spoke about peace. And today I get to talk about joy, which is a real kick in the pants. Because you know me, I, I am not known as a party animal. You, know, you, you, you know this, you know, you're, you're deciding whether or not the party is going to be, you know, vibrant enough to be able to assimilate me and not be drawn too much down by my lack of party animal-ish. I, you know how I start every day. I, I'm not a happy person in the winter. These, these short, dark days and long, darker nights and I are not the best friends. I don't kiss the winter when it comes. I, I spit or else I would cuss. I, it's not all that happy. And you know how I self-diagnose and treat my diagnosis of SAD, seasonal affective disorder. I, I get up every morning and I start with coffee and my Bible and a happy lamp. And you may think one of those is more important than the other, other but Anne won't live with me unless I have all three. Yeah, yeah. And along with, with that, I, I supplement a couple of trips to the Arizona desert chasing winter sun. And that's how I, I manage my stuff during the winter. Well, today we're going to light the rose candle of joy. And so I need to get my act together. And I've done a little research. You know, the 2016 World Happiness Index ranked the United States 13th. We just nudged out Costa Rica. <laughs> Folks, we are not all that happy and probably not all that joyful. I did my doctoral research among pastors across the United States in studying their emotional health. This is not when you laugh. That wouldn't be kind to say that's an oxymoron. <laughs> slow group today, slow. <laughs> Too kind or slow. Have I actually been gone for that long being sick that you have forgotten that I think you should laugh at my lame efforts for jokes? Yeah. So what I discovered was that, that senior pastors, many of them are not that happy. And apparently many of them are not that joyful. So for the last few years, I've been a student of joy. And I've learned some things about that. And maybe today some of the things I've learned will be helpful for you too. How many of you have gone to Disneyland, Space Mountain? Hands up. Come on, go ahead and vote. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't. That's too scary. But <laughs> this kid did. Some of you have read or heard of Professor Tony Campalo. He wrote, I took my son to Disneyland when he was little. As we were leaving, he said, I want another ride on Space Mountain. And I said, sorry, I'm out of here. And he said, Jesus wants me to go. What? I said. And he said, well, in church you said that whatever we feel Jesus feels, when we cry, he cries. And you said, 
that whatever we feels, he feels it. And I said, that's right. And he said, well, then when I'm laughing on Space Mountain, he's having a good time too. And I think Jesus wants to go again. Yeah. Here's our big idea today. God is the most joyful being in the universe, and he wants to fill you with his joy. I think kids inherently get it, and I think sometimes they have some pretty good theology. God is the most joyful being in the universe, and he wants you to be joyful as well. Joy is at the very center of the Christmas stories. It's what the shepherds heard. It's what the wise men heard. It's what we hear today. Joy to all people. Some of you have heard about pastor and psychologist John Ortberg. He tells a wonderful story about his three kids. I think you'll enjoy it too. He writes, some time ago, I was giving a bath to our kids. We have three children and Our custom is to bathe all three of them at the same time. It's a time-saving kind of thing. Now, we know that the time will come that we can't do that, but for right now, it's really efficient. (laughs) So I was bathing them. Johnny was still in the tub. Laura, our oldest, was on drip dry, and I was trying to get Mallory, our middle kid, dried off. And she was out of the tub, but she was not getting dry. She was doing what's been come to known as the dee-da-day dance. And this consists of Mallory running around in circles, chanting to herself, dee-da-day, dee-da-day. It's a simple dance. It's a dance of joy because she's a joyful person. And sometimes she just gets so joyful that it spills out and she has to release it. And so she dances. And so she was doing it, dee-da-day. Now, I wanted to get her to dry so I could get on with getting Johnny dried. So I said, Mallory, hurry. And she just started running faster in smaller circles. Dee-da-day, dee-da-day. I repeated myself, Mallory, stop. Now, come here, hurry. And she looked at me and said, why? I had no answer. I mean, really, I had nothing to do, no place to go, nothing on my list. It's just that I've become so addicted to hurrying and efficiency that I wanted to get her dry and get Johnny dry so that They were dry. And here, right in front of me, was an invitation to life. Joy in front of me. An invitation to the dance. And I was missing it. Hurry up. And so I said to Mallory, dee-da-day. And we danced together a celebration about life. And he says, as I reflected on it, I discovered that I've generally divided my life into two categories, living and waiting to live. And he says, I think most of my life is in the waiting to live. It's waiting until I'm doing the next thing. Get through what I'm on now so I can drive to some other place or stand in some other line or trying to get some other task done or worry about some other thing that might happen or being angry about some other thing that really did happen. Drying the kids was just something that I was trying to get through. But to Mallory, getting dry is just a moment of life. So she just lives. When she's taking a bath, it's a dee-da-day moment. 
And when it's time to get out of the tub and get dried, it's another dee-da-day moment. And when she's dry, she's off to another dee-da-day moment. Life to her is just a series of dee-da-day moments. So he concludes by saying, she's teaching me about joy. Joy lives in the heart of God, and joy is the gift to people who live at the heart of God. And I think I miss a lot of living because I'm waiting to live. I'm just trying to get through things rather than having, you can say it with me, dee-da-day moments. So friends, you can choose to have dee-da-day moments because God is joyful. God has an infinite, infinite capacity for joy. And he wants more than anything else for you to share that joy as well. God is joyful. And how do we know? Because joy bursts out of the Bible. From cover to cover, it is a story of God exploding with joy and inviting us into it. In fact, Proverbs chapter 8, which gives us insight in the emotion of God back at creation, says this, Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. The prophetic insight of the writer of the Proverbs looked back to what God was doing at creation and personifies God's God. And many people believe that this is the words, these are the words of Jesus when he was with the Father at creation. God was rejoicing at creation with what he made, especially with us, delighting in mankind, in humans, at the very beginning. The story opens with joy. All through the Old Testament, part of the Bible that a lot of people think that God acts kind of cranky much of the time. God tells his people to rejoice. It's why he created those feast days and festivals, holy days. You know that in English, holiday is a contraction of holy days. And why did God decide to institute holidays? It was because he wanted to bring his people together to rejoice and to celebrate his goodness with them. God is joyful. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. It says, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over who? Over you. So what's God doing right now? He is rejoicing over you. Can you imagine that? If you think he's cranky right now over you, you haven't gotten to know the God of the Bible revealed in Jesus. Let me ask a question. You can vote on it with your right hand. How many of you have attended a wedding in the last five years? Yeah. Many of you have. Some of you need to get some new friends. There we go, yeah. Now, let me ask this question. Something happens, doesn't it? When the bride begins to walk up the aisle, what happens to the groom? He looks a lot better, doesn't he? Yeah. In fact, sometimes my opening words to the couple when they get down here is that I compliment the bride on how beautiful she is, and then I say to the guy, you've cleaned up pretty well too. 
And many of us are frankly shocked because the transformation on his face, which is joy and delight and love and wonder and pleasure, is an explosion of a joy burst. I've done well over two, three hundred weddings, and I have never seen a time when, when the bride came to the end of the aisle, that the groom went, ah, horror, shock, dismay. No, it is sheer joy. And the prophet says, when God sees you, he just bursts into the, the delight of a groom. In fact, Zephaniah, prophet, goes on to tell us that God gets really excited. Notice it says, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Would you read the last phrase with me? He will rejoice over you with singing. Wow, there it is again. God is singing over you. God, joy is God's basic character. You know the God the best when you know him as the most joyful being in the universe. Jesus is joyful. I mostly know that God is joyful because I know Jesus who said, if you want to know the Father, then know me, and then you will have known the Father. Here's the deal. God got born as a human so we could see Jesus. And if you want to know what the invisible Father looks like, Get to know Jesus, and you'll see the God who is joyful, the most joyful being in the entire universe. We know that Jesus is joyful. He loved to go to parties. He got in trouble for doing that from time to time. His first recorded miracle in the Bible is at a wedding. And during the reception, they ran out of wine, so he turned water into wine so that the party could continue. Jesus hung out with the wrong people in the wrong places so much that some called him a glutton and a drunkard, which he was not. Those same religious people judged him for being a sinner because he hung out with sinners, which he was not. But when they called him a friend of sinners, he happily fessed up. He was exactly that. And Jesus gives us a formula for God's joy. It's lost plus found equals, say it with me, joy. Consider Luke chapter 15, where the religious folks are upset because of the people Jesus is spending time with, and he tells them three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The shepherd went out and found the lost sheep and put it over his shoulders and with great joy brought it home. And this is what Jesus said. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And when the lost coin was found, the woman called her friends and neighbors together and said, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, 
There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And when the lost son made his way home, the father welcomed him with open arms and said, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Hmm. So what's the common theme? When the lost are found, there's joy. God rejoices. There's a party in heaven. So listen, if you're far from God today, or if you have a friend or family member that is far from God today, there is a party in heaven with your name on it waiting to happen. God rejoices when we come home. Grill some steaks and celebrate. The party has to be on. The lost has been found. But you know, the real clincher for me about God being a God of joy comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. That last night before he was betrayed, flogged, charged, and then crucified, he had a very intimate dinner and conversation with his closest friends and followers. And he invites through scripture us to be a part of that intimate conversation. And Jesus said that night, I have told you this so that your joy may be in me and that your joy may be complete. Hmm. So that's the result. What was it that he had just told them? He told them that they should stay close to him. He used the illustration of a vine and branches. And he said, if you stay connected with me, then your life will be fruitful. And some of you, some of you have stopped there and you believe that what God really wants is for you to be productive and effective, kind of like the American dream, to maximize efficiencies in your life and to get lots done. And while it's true that God wants your life to be effective and fruitful, he goes on to say, but what I really want you to stay close to me for is because when you're close to me, my joy, my joy is in you and your joy is complete. The joyful God of the universe wants a relationship with you not so much for what you'll do, but that he can share his joy with you and you'll enter his life of rejoicing. He goes on to say that I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in this world that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. What Jesus has done is he's moved from his talk to them now to praying to God on their behalf and John 17 is this prayer before, for us before he died, where Jesus prays for you that you'll experience the full measure of his joy. God, who's the most joyful being in the whole universe, now wants you to be filled with the measure of his joy. God is full of joy. 
And he wants you filled with joy. Did the prayer get answered? You bet. A few weeks or months later, in the book of Acts, it says, you can see it with me, that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this is what we learn across the Bible, that God from the beginning was filled with joy, that when he created, he was joyful, that he engaged his people in holy days, holidays of feasting and celebration to enter into his joy. The prophets spoke about the God who is as joyful over us as a bride and a bridegroom and who sings over us in delight. And he sent his son Jesus who was filled with joy to be our example and tell the God story. And Jesus, the one filled with joy, said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to leave you with the fullness of my joy. And when the church launched, when people were filled with God's Spirit, the sign of that was that they were filled with His joy. Amazing thing. So we have a question. When are we going to rejoice? <laughs> An ancient psalmist wrote and sung these words. We, we don't have the melody, but someone in my generation put some notes with his words. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When? Yesterday was the day. Too bad you lost your sense, joy, your opportunity to be joyful. Tomorrow is going to be better, and when conditions change, you can be joyful tomorrow. No, today's the day. This is the day. Because we live in a world of illusion, maybe more in our Western culture and in our generations than any other time, that actually believes that joy is precipitated by conditions of life. So when the conditions of my life improve, then I will be joyful. So students... I'll be joyful someday when I'm out of school. <laughs> um, single adults, I'll be joyful someday when I'm married. Couples, I'll be, we'll be joyful someday when there's kids in the house. Parents, we'll be joyful someday when our kids leave the house. <laughs> someday, someday the conditions will be right. No, choose joy today. Today is the day. Rejoice today that you have a relationship with this joyful God. Now, I understand we live in a terribly broken world. Christmas is not a happy time for many. In fact, Christmas season often brings to the surface some things that have been festering and brewing for a long time when we realize the inadequacies and the deficiencies of some of our life experiences and outcomes and relationships. I get that, that we live in a world of pain and disappointment. Every person in this room has plenty of reasons not to rejoice. I get that. But here's God's truth. If you don't rejoice today, you won't rejoice. If you don't rejoice now in life, you'll wait until death and it'll be too late. If you're going to re rejoice, if you're going to rejoice, it 
has to be today because this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is your Dida Day, day, today. I want to finish the story with a story from our life recently and, and then just the last week or so. <clears throat> uh, Ann and I and our kids and Ann's mom, our three-generation family, uh, lived in Bend, Oregon. And this was, this was what part of the shot from our backyard and back deck looked like. And we had a pretty wonderful life there, and we had just sold our home and moved into a larger home, so Bonnie could sell her home and move in with us, and it was the place that Jordan and Hillary had gone to school, and they were now in high school, and we were a part of a wonderful, vibrant local church, Westside Church in Bend, and we had friends, and we had a routine of life, and we were enjoying it, and we had, oh, well, we did have that horrible five-minute commute to, to work, but... Because it's sunny most of the time in Bend, even in the winter, we were able to do that and with joy. And life was good for us. And in the middle of that, Ann and I were recruited to jobs that required our family move to Los Angeles. And this would become our new view from our office. Not a bad office view, but would you imagine with me that it was a little bit of a life change for the three generations of Oregonians to move to Southern California and to find a new school for high school kids to go and to take Bonnie away from her hundred or so extended family members of brothers and sisters and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that primarily lived around the Willamette Valley and for us to move from my aging parents then into their, well into their 80s who lived in Albany and for us to disrupt our local church and our friendship and to go work in this place and do you think that there were some reasons to say no to the opportunities? Well, we had about six months to figure that out. And so it, we were able to come to the place of faith. And we asked ourselves, what would it look like to be the most joyous family in Southern California? Now, I don't know if we were, but the next seven years, we gave it a real run for the money. And if there had been a competition, we would have joined the competition. And my guess is that we might have done very well in the competition of who was the most joyous family in Southern California because we discovered some things about joy and happiness. By the way, just to fill you in, joy is absolutely free. Happiness can be very expensive. We think we were both pretty joyful and happy. Yeah. In retrospect, I think we could have emphasized the joy part a little bit more maybe and saved some money in the process. But you see, happiness... Happiness is a state that is beautiful and wonderful, and God designed us with that emotion. And I hope today you're happy, and I hope in this Christmas season that you experience a lot of happy bursts. But you know, in the science of happiness, it's substantially a cocktail of hormones and neurotransmitters that are going on in your head, and we just can't sustain those. It's kind of a combination of dopamine, which causes us to feel warmth and love and anticipation and serotonin that causes us to feel happy. And, and maybe there's a little bit of epinephrine that gives us some sudden bursts of energy to engage in activity. And, and maybe there's some uh, oxytocin that causes us to feel bonded and trust. And when that cocktail of stuff goes on in our brain, we feel happy. How many of you like to feel happy? I like to feel happy. 
But how many of you know that happiness is a gift emotion to us, but it's not a sustained way of living? Hmm. So sometimes we can buy some happy moments, but joy, which is this hugely valuable experience in our life that is context independent, is absolutely free. In fact, you can't even buy an ounce of joy. It is a gift of God. I told you that I'm something of a student of joy and happiness, and I do that in part because I'm one of the pastors here, and you would rather have a joyful pastor than a cranky pastor. <laughs> Any of you say amen? amen? A lot of you. Yeah. I also really like it that Anne still wants to live with me after, lo, these many years. And I would like for her to want to keep living with me and would like the person that she lives with. And that has been tested during some long, dark winters. Yeah. And I'm something of a student of joy and happiness because I really want to be a Christ follower that looks and sounds like him as I receive his joy. My happiness has been pretty tested the last four weeks. Some of you know that I've had a nasty bug, just a stinking nasty bug. It's made me sick enough to be contagious to other people. My daughter wouldn't even let me touch her two daughters, my sweet granddaughters, for a whole week of Thanksgiving that we were together. Was that mean or what? I mean, when push comes to shove, she's going to choose her kids over her dad? Yes. As a matter of fact, the girls were well coached at six and five when they came in and looked at me and said, we can't hug you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were some other reasons it was probably good to avoid me over the last few weeks. It's just, you know, when, well, I don't know about you, but when I feel nasty, I just, I feel nasty about that. It wasn't fun coughing through the night and being up. And if some of you got emails from me at 2.30 in the morning, it wasn't because I was up working diligently. It was because I was coughing and I couldn't sleep. I just felt nasty. I could blame everything on the drug speaking, which is kind of handy from time to time, but just kind of nasty. So how do you experience joy when life is kind of nasty? Some of you wish... The problem you came in the room with was the hangover of having a sinus infection because the nasties in your life are really big deals. How do you experience joy in the middle of a world that has pain and confusion and difficulty in it? I think the Bible is really, really clear, and I think that we've read our pathway toward joy today. It's a part of God himself. And as a creature made in his likeness and image, when you come close to God, you enter into joy. When you're filled with his spirit, you are filled with his joy. And when you come in gratitude, you tap in to some of his joy. Some mornings I woke up before I wanted to, but not feeling well enough to get out of bed. And I, I did one of my practices that's helped me over life. I said, thank you 100 times before I got up. It just kind of brings me closer to Jesus. Thank you, 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 thank you. And then I put up my pinky 
because I can't remember a hundred, and that's the first ten. I have a practice in my devotional life when I'm under the happy lamp of my cup of coffee in the Bible of, of writing five gratitudes a day. Thank you for, and I go back to the day before, and I don't look for these huge, massive things. I look for these delicious little graces of God's goodness and people's goodness in my life, and I write out my gratitudes, and, and I spend some time, as an old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings and see what God has done. I think I've entered into some of that joy by being honest with God about what my experience really is. I feel crappy today, and I feel crappy about feeling crappy. Some of you are too good to do that. You would have a softer term for that. Some days I felt so bad I wanted to use a little more harsh term for that. <laughs> Getting honest with God about that and just entering into some of those psalms that are just so filled with honesty about God. This is what I'm experiencing. And then to follow the pattern of those psalmists by saying, but God, let me remind myself about you. You are so awesome. You are so good. You're so faithful. You're with me. You're so great. And God, I enter into your joy. And so today, as we conclude, I invite you to, as we started in Genesis with creation, and we've done a Bible survey, we're going to end with closing verses in the Revelation. This is how it's possible to be a person that's joy-filled and a pain-filled word. Look at this promise right at the end of the Bible. It says, let us rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb that is Christ. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. You can experience joy because we know the end of the story. The groom and the bride get together, and God dances at the reception, and joy reigns. And then it's going to be a dida day, day forever without end. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us enter into your joy. Help us see you for who you are, the most joyful being in the whole universe. And help us, Lord, in this Christmas season, choose to rejoice in you. And for some of us, Lord, that need to get closer to you or connected to you, our prayer is this. God, like the boy in the story in Luke 15, we've gone our own way. We come home today and we're saying, Father, I've gone my own way. I, I confess my sin. I turn back to you. I come to you. I receive your forgiveness in the fullness of your spirit. For some of us, our prayer is, God, I know you, but I need your fresh fullness. I, I need your fresh joy, and I need your perspective in this time of my life to choose to rejoice in you. God, would you let us, as this community of faith, be evergreeners all around our communities this week and be joy bursts wherever we go. Not because life has become perfect, but because we have entered into your joy. In Jesus' name, would you say together with me? Amen. Amen.